0: Having said that, let us begin. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Na wa nassalli ala al We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. And we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We are supposed to start class with some uh, backtracking of material before. One, people are asking me for the dua. Uh, this, I have just uh, posted it in the chat. Uh, and, and so this is praying for Allah Ta'ala to make... Uh, easy for you what is halal and then make the haram and make sufficient for you what is the halal and thus make the haram uh, hard Uh, make the haram be the the opposite inshallah this is actually in the context of trying to uh, get help in terms of debt Uh, this is where you will often find this dua being mentioned um, the other thing is I think we were supposed to look at IF I 15. We, we bypassed uh, uh, I F 15. So we said that I F 14 and 15 is is the fourth attribute of the people of NefaQ, and that is to be two-faced. And we addressed the part of being two-faced, uh, but we didn't address IA 15, which also connects with IA 10. So in I F 10, they have a disease in their heart and allah ta'ala lets the disease grow in ayah 15 uh or ayah 14 they're seeking to to fool the believers and allah ta'ala ayah 15 fools them and he leaves them to wander blindly in their rebellion and so so the point here uh, akin to what we were discussing before is that If I choose the path of guidance, that path opens up. And what I mean by this, it doesn't mean my life suddenly becomes easy. Um, It could mean my life suddenly becomes hard, but the pathway to guidance becomes more apparent. If I choose misguidance, it's not that it necessarily becomes easier, but Allah Ta'ala is not necessarily going to stop me. If I'm doing it willfully, sometimes you might be choosing between right and wrong. And out of temptation, out of weakness, you might choose wrong. And sometimes Taala might put roadblocks in your way as a way to bring you back. But if you are willfully of whole consciousness choosing wrong, Taala is going to let you keep going that route. Which we would like to think that, no, he would stop you, but no part of the deal in terms of how he has organized dunya is that if you willfully do it, he is not going to stop you. How do you all feel about that? Ease, comfort. Everyone is silent. Okay, well, I mean, this brings us to your question. Um, Where's this voice coming from, Omar, yes? Omar? Uh, how far does it go before uh before Allah lets you go and how far does it go before you know the roadblocks are just not there anymore the ones that Allah put in to bring you so, back? so the key point being that someone is acting willfully as opposed to acting out of weak willpower okay so all of us commit sins in whatever capacity and a lot of times the sins are being committed because of weak willpower right or lapse in judgment yeah. here we're talking about someone who is fully conscious and it's choosing wrong knowing that it is wrong and there the roadblocks are being removed and you can theoretically go uh, all the way until hell mm-hmm. now it's different if it is it's different if again if I'm acting like I said out of weak willpower then inshallah in my heart I still have the, the repulsion of wrong and uh, I would seek forgiveness for whatever it is that I've done wrong. And it's a good practice to be seeking forgiveness on a regular basis anyway. Remember when we spoke about the five tests, the fifth one that we said is actually four plus one. And the fifth one is, is the seeking of, of forgiveness. Now it, now, it doesn't mean that if someone is a hypocrite, they've already entered a point of no return. But as is the case of all these paths, uh, it's easy to start becoming thick-headed about it. As we just spoke of arrogance as one of the attributes, the third attribute of the people of hypocrisy. And when you take the path of arrogance, it is very hard to get out of it. Uh, and this we will see very soon when we get into the story of Adam and Eve, uh, peace be upon them, and the accursed devil. The part of his problem is that he hid behind arrogance and he's unable to, to get out of it. Uh, let's see, for atheists, it is a point, there is a point there, see, okay, uh, uh, I need you to clarify what you're saying there. Ramiya, I feel better knowing that Allah is placing roadblocks in my life to prevent me from decisions that are not best for me. It feels protective. Absolutely. Meaning, every time you're reciting Al-Fatiha, you're praying for guidance, and what you can assume is that what has automatically happened is Allah has put some roadblocks in the misguided choices doesn't mean you're going to follow them doesn't mean you're going to obey the roadblocks but they will be there as soon as you are making that request that's more explicitly mentioned in the Dua of Istahara isn't it well in the Dua of Istahara you're saying if this is best for me make it happen if not don't let it happen absolutely Uh, we also believe Allah guides us when we are misguided does that not apply here so uh, Allah Ta'ala's guidance is always offered but in the same way that I might be rejecting Allah's mercy with ingratitude, I might also be rejecting Allah's guidance. Remember, when I am speaking of a roadblock, I'm not saying prevention. I'm saying it's a locked door that I might still decide to force open. And then, uh, I need you to write it in a whole a whole, uh, complete sentence uh, for me to understand. Shalom. Okay, so this brings us back to, uh, uh, just to repeat a little bit, Is 16. And the point we made about is 16, so it said that, okay, these are people who purchase air at the price of guidance, and the result is that they have no profit and they lose guidance. And the point that I was emphasizing there is one of the essences of your experience on this earth is choices. That on the day of judgment, you and I are going to be held to account for all the choices we made. We often frame it as deeds, but it's more accurately to speak of it as your choices, because your choices include your intentions. And, and it's as though Allah Ta'ala is putting you in a scenario and saying, all right, what is the choice you're going to make here? So a lot of times, uh, especially for, for young people, especially for young people these days in college, they're too afraid to make choices and say, that's exactly what you have to do. Yeah. Which choice is better? Sometimes people want others to make their choice for them. No, you've literally been, empo- been empowered by Allah Ta'ala to make your choices. And some of those choices are going to make your life happier. Some of those choices are going to make your life unhappier. But happy and unhappy does not line up with guidance and misguidance. Because even like Dr. Razi in relationship with uh, Istikhara, when someone's praying for Istikhara, let's say, should I marry this person or not? Should I do this career or not? Should I go to the school or not? Uh, They're praying, is this best for me in my relationship with Allah? That is not saying, is this going to make me happier? Uh, Lutfi, are you about to... Uh... Can you it down it. Later. Okay. You. Uh, okay, so so the point being that when you are doing istikhara you're actually praying, is this best for me? As opposed to, is this going to make me happy? Naturally, if you want to add an addendum to Istahara, if this is best for me, please make it happen. If this is not, please don't let it happen, but please make me be happy with it, right? You can add something like that. Um, uh, uh, in Shutla. Uh, all those of you who are making questions, uh, I can't tell if they're comments or, ha- or, uh, 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 um, or statements, uh, so please, if you can, if I can ask you to put them as full sentences and we'll try to get to them, or full questions, I'll get to them um, as is uh, relevant. So again, one of the key uh, points of the whole life experience is the, uh, is choice. So now, just to review very, very briefly, uh, we looked at the, uh, this uh, metaphor yesterday. Uh, the metaphor of these people is, imagine a situation in which you have a person who's kindling a fire, and then uh, the light spreads around, and then Allah Taala the, the away their light, leaving them in darkness, deaf, and mute, and blind, they will not return. And we said this seems to be speaking about the hypocrites, and perhaps also the kafirs. And then we spoke, what is the good attribute to have to want to seek guidance? to want to receive guidance, no matter which voice it's coming from, right? There's people in our community that you might like listening to. There might be people, there are people in our community that you probably don't like as much, but they might be the possessors of of a better pathway for you you in terms of guidance. So our goal is to be thirsty for guidance, uh, uh, no matter who is the vessel of it. Okay, having said that, uh, in i 19 we have the second attribute so there's essentially three three of uh, second metaphor there's three metaphors in this section i 17 through 20 i 17 and 18 is uh, the the man killing the fire i 19 is the rainstorm which is what we're about to look at And I twenty is lightning. So this is what we're about to see. I eighteen the rainstorm. Ow. So or. So I seventeen. Their metaphor is as the following, and now eighteen or the following. So you have this rainstorm coming from the sky, and it's dark. And then you have uh, uh, you have these flashes of lightning. You have thunder and lightning. Okay, can you all hear me? hear me? Okay. So, so we were saying you have this scenario in which it's a rainstorm, it's darkness, and you have thunder and lightning. And then this is the part where gets interesting. (coughs) Of course, the entire Quran is interesting. Uh, You reach this part uh, where what are they doing to protect themselves from the thunder? This. So, how would you describe that behavior? You're in the middle of a storm, and every time I'm picturing the storm, it's in the middle of a forest. And so they don't get hit by the thunder and, and the lightning, bam. Okay. Uh, hey Grant, give me something more specific. I think this is almost childish. and and Or, or basically irrational. Uh, What else would I do? Well, I'd probably get out of the thunderstorm. But what's the deeper point? (laughs) The deeper point here is if I stick my finger in my ears, I have protected myself from the thunder. Is the danger gone? No. Lightning is still there. So it used to be that, and some of you, uh, I've I've made this comment in previous classes. It used to be when I was younger, younger, maybe like I don't know five ten years ago babies used to love me like babies would crawl all over me I'd be a jungle gym for babies and something happened at some point now when babies see me they turn their head away as though like I'm a monster and now the threat is gone and this is what the people are doing here they're doing the equivalent of burying their head in the sand so lightning is still flashing lightning can still hit them but as though the problem goes away. I'll give you another another example. This is something that I still do instinctively. If I'm walking through the rain, let's say you know from you know one, from a place to a place, what have you, and it's raining really hard and it's lightning, what do I do as I'm walking to protect myself? I lower my head. Okay, now I'm totally protected, right? I've lowered my head an inch, and somehow psychologically, uh, I have protected myself from the danger of lightning and thunder. And all those of you who are smiling, you know you're guilty of doing the same thing. Okay. So so the point is that they are trying to protect themselves in a way that doesn't protect them. And they're trying to protect themselves from something that cannot hurt them. Can thunder hurt you? No. Thunder can scare you. Thunder is just a loud, but it cannot do anything to you. And that's what they're trying to protect themselves from. Why? Why? At the end of the ayah, or uh, in the latter part of the ayah, because of fear of death. And so, we spoke of the metaphor of gratitude early on in these classes as being like water. We spoke of the metaphor of anger as being like fire. And back then we said, in terms of your heart, Uh, One is going to be stronger. Either the anger is going to uh, Evaporate the the gratitude or the gratitude is going to put out the anger Now think of fear as being like lightning and What do I mean by that that fear because it is both non it is often non-rational and irrational if you fear something you're going to fear all kinds of other things and what is one of the core fears here? It's the fear of death. What we want to have uh, first is first fear something that can actually hurt you. Le- uh, thunder can't hurt you. If anything, you should have fear of lightning. Make sense? And then <laughs> better than that, so number one, if you're fearing something that, uh, that rationally cannot hurt you, fear something that can hurt you. But better than that is to fear the one who is controlling it all, which is fear of Allah. Because what is the end of the ayah (laughs) say? Allah Ta'ala surrounds them. Muhita is kinda like water surrounding an island. And so so aren't they afraid of lightning too? Uh, that is rational, but, but what are they doing to protect themselves from the lightning? This is not going to protect you from the lightning. That's the key point here. So so think, for example, okay, and be, be brutally honest, how many of you are afraid of spiders? You can just say yes, 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 yes. Sammy, Sammy, uh, it means being afraid of spiders. Hannah, uh, seriously, you're not afraid of spiders? Okay, I'm guessing Anna's not afraid of anything much at all. Okay, Stephanie's afraid of spiders. Liva, let's say, Liva, let's say the spider's this big. Let's say it's face size. Good, uh, does that make you scared, okay. Uh, Abu Hasna, yes. Asma, yes. Jewel, no, mashallah. Okay, Sadia, if it's big, yes. Mitra, yes. Okay, so <laughs> face size, yes. Okay, uh, I, I have a friend who moved to Australia and he was me about spiders that are literally like this big, so imagine this is my head and the legs, that's the body of the spider. Okay. In any case, if it's bigger than me, Mosab, If it's bigger than you, Mosab, I will be afraid of the spider as well. In fact, Mosab, I'm afraid of you. Okay, anyway, so just kidding. So, press it, wrong, yeah. it depends upon my state of being, mashallah. Okay, so why are we so afraid of spiders? What is it that makes spiders so frightening? So unpredictable, but isn't a dog predictable? Spider-Man, he's friendly. Uh, they're foreign, so you're anti-immigrant, fine. Uh, they're gross, okay pop culture. I don't know what pop culture is making you afraid of spiders, Lee. I'm afraid of dogs too. You're probably afraid of dogs who are being eaten by spiders as well. Okay, (laughs) one scene from Harry Potter. They will crawl into you. Okay, nice. So I'm gonna give you some suggestions for why spiders are scary. Number one, you can't see their eyes. And if you see up close a spider's eyes, that actually makes them more scary. So, so uh, at the risk of getting to too many movie references, when when Steven Spielberg was making E.T. back at the beginning of the 80s, how did he design E.T.? He gave these big blue eyes. And so everybody in the world loves white people with blue eyes. And so we thought, oh E.T. you're so beautiful. you're so cute, right? And so so spiders, you can't see their eyes, and then when you look closely, it's like those fifty thousand little black. Right. So, another reason why why spiders are, are frightening is when you have these eight legs, yeah, there's this unknown which way is this thing going to go you know, is this going to crawl up my leg, is this going to go inside Mahan? you know, what is going to, uh, to, to, to happen you know, it's interesting uh, I don't know, Laiba, if you were there we were doing this exact lesson at Loyola And the point I made is that, all right, if you're in Chicago, most of the spiders you're going to come across are going to be that small. Good. And they are as afraid of you as you are of them. If you accidentally step on them, they die. If they accidentally step on you, you jump, and then you'll probably land on it, and then they die. Good. And so all the students were like, yeah, okay, I'm not afraid of spiders. And then suddenly someone screamed, because exactly at that moment in the lesson, a spider started coming down. From, from the ceiling. And so, in fact, that happened in a different lesson, also at a different school. So, Nasheen is saying, uh, Dr. Nasheen is, is saying, creepy, crawly, hairy. Are you talking about Dr. Mopi, or are you talking about spiders? Oh, my goodness, mashallah. Yeah, Sequestry, sequester sequester. Um, it's making me lose my mind. Okay, so so the point is that, what is the essence, however, of our fear of spiders? It is this unfamiliarity that we then tie in with the unknown. That's physiological, but it's a mix of physiology and your imagination. The part you can't control as much as your physiology, the part you can control is your rational interpretation of what's happening. And so try it if you see one of our little tiny Chicago spiders, those of you who are in the Chicagoland area. Uh, If you see a spider coming down, leave it alone. It will probably leave you alone. Meaning, let's say I'm working here typing on my computer and a spider comes down and I'm just typing along, if I don't do anything, the spider will probably go about its way. This is actually a recommendation for spiders that are not dangerous. It is to let them It's to let them just be. No, uh, more than likely, they're not going to join you and give birth to 35 more spiders. And why are we recommended to let it be? Anyone? Because that spider is a relative of the spider that saved the Prophet, peace be upon him, and Abu Bakr. Pretty cool, eh? Yes, exactly. spider saved the, the, the Prophet, peace be upon him. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, you get reckless, you know, just like a bunch of the out in India right now that have a whole swarm full of people that have caught the coronavirus because they keep refusing to, to go home and go to the masjid. I'm not saying to be defiant. I'm saying that um, uh, if it is a spider that rationally you can evaluate is probably not going to be dangerous, then let it be. It will, in all likelihood, let you be. Of course, if it starts crawling up your leg, your arm, then it goes up here anyway okay so so what is the point again there are those things we fear and it's usually irrational as opposed to non-rational in a way to in what we want to do is to turn away from things that cannot harm us meaning to not be afraid of things that cannot harm us And to limit our fear, our rational fear, to things that can harm us. And then better than that is to have fear of the controller of all of those things. That's the level we want to get to. So this metaphor was about fear. And then on top of that, the interesting thing about fear, especially in relationship with Allah, is if my fear is of Allah... Okay, if my fear is of Allah, then what's going to happen? Wait, are you guys still there? Um, uh, All of you are frozen. Okay, now I'm frozen. Okay, we're back. Sorry about that. So, what are we saying here? That the interesting thing about fear in relationship to Allah is that if I am fearing Allah, then I'm running towards Allah. If I'm fearing anything in creation, then more than likely I'm running away from it. Is not fearing Allah a form of shirk? Uh, No, I would say, no, it is not a form of shirk. Uh, But the point being, That if I'm fearing lightning, I run away. If I'm fearing a spider, I run away. If I'm fearing ahalabu hasna, I run away. But uh, if I'm fearing Allah, then I run to Allah. Now, (laughs) what ultimately becomes the fear if I'm not fearing Allah, more than likely it's going to be a fear of death. And again, in the way lightning is jagged and seemingly unpredictable, my fear of death is going to lead me to fear anything that in that split second is going to bring me closer to death. So that little tiny spider, what is the essence of my fear of that spider? It is the fear of death, that the spider is going to kill me. But if I think about it rationally, okay, this little tiny spider can't do anything to me. Uh, you know what silverfish are? Um, If you get around to it, do a Google search for silverfish and imagine like one like this big, you know, because that's even less dangerous than a spider and is more scary looking. Okay. So uh, can I repeat this? Um, You want to shift from fearing things that you can, that cannot hurt you to fearing things that can hurt you and from fearing things that can hurt you to fear of Allah. So why do those fears have to be mutually exclusive? Uh, I'm not quite understanding the question of which fears am I saying are mutually uh, exclusive. Okay. Uh, am I saying that all worldly fear comes back to fear of death? It seems as though that's the case, yeah. Okay, so this metaphor was about fear. Fear of a love versus fear of death. Oh, very good question. Um, those two are often mutually exclusive unless your fear of death I freeze again. Alrighty, having quite a class today, Mashal. So so what we're saying is that uh, in terms of, of fear of death, if it is connected to my fear of judgment, that's different. Then my fears of the day of judgment, that's a reasonable fear. But think back all the way back to the beginning of the semester when we were speaking about Maliki Madin. We said that fear of the Day of Judgment should be balanced out with hope of the Day of Judgment as well. And once again, it looks like I have frozen. All right, let us, let us hope we can make it at least for a few more minutes, inshallah. So if my fear of death ties into my fear of the Day of Judgment, meaning my actual fear is of my Day of Judgment, that is reasonable. But even that, rationally, I have to try to balance it out with hope. That as much as I'm concerned about Allah's judgment of me, I should also be hopeful in Allah's mercy of me, of mercy for me. Okay, fear of losing things like reputation, honor, wealth. I would say those are also reasonable, uh, but they should not be consuming. Meaning naturally, uh, any of us should have fears about what's the future uh, in our society, both in terms of the virus, as well as the collapse of society, collapse of the economy, all those things. Those are our reasonable fears, but they they should not take us away from our rational state. Because think about what happens when you're about to walk into the shower and then you see a creepy crawly spider. It's for a second you're freezing. So naturally, you know, all of us who have kids, mashallah, we are going to be repeatedly concerned about about them, their well-being, and such. Perhaps even more than we're concerned about our own well-being. That's still normal because that and that's not taking us away from our rationality. That's a key point um, uh, that, that I'm making here. Okay, <clears throat> so uh, we have a few more minutes. Uh, let me, uh, I'm concerned we're gonna crash again, but we've at least made it through one ayah. Let me, let me scroll through these questions and see if there's anything else that I'm missing. How do I turn fear of this world into fear of Allah? Some of that is the starting point of it all, we're saying a fear is you're making a rational choice to fear Allah. And then what do you do further? Uh, For a lot of these things, you increase your ibadah from the perspective that if you decrease your ibadah, that should increase your fear of Allah in the sense of uh, an anxiety type thing. But if you increase your knowledge of Allah, your study, and your ibadah, that'll make it more of a holistic, wholesome fear. Uh, I hope that makes sense. right? So I'm speaking here of an irrational anxiety type fear, uh, almost like a panic that some people have when they are misbehaving. Uh, that becomes a roadblock. You know, that's one of the types of roadblocks Allah Tala puts to keep you acting upright. Sometimes a roadblock that Allah Tala will put is give you very, very nasty dreams if you're doing something wrong. Okay. But uh, if you increase in your ibadah, if you increase your acts of worship, if you increase your study and your knowledge of the deen, that should increase you with the proper type of fear of God. Okay. Is the fear of death in this case Rational. Uh, If we're speaking of the fear of death without a fear of the day of judgment, uh, it's understandable because it's an unknown. But it is not that different than fearing a spider. Now, if you're looking at everything else, you're fearing alongside of it, is that, okay, if I die, if I get the virus, what's going to happen to my kids? That's rational. That's understandable. That makes sense. But if it paralyzes me, then it's become irrational. What should a person do who's not fearful of the Day of Judgment? How do you solve for this? First step is for all these things you're gonna keep saying is is, uh, to work on increasing acts of worship, but also look at depictions of the Day of Judgment. You know, the prophet, peace be upon him, goes through the night journey, and then he sees heaven, he sees hell, he goes through hell. And then one of the things he sees in hell are these people, like the angels in hell, are holding people down and then slamming them with axes into their bellies. You know, or others that they're yanking out their tongues. And these are the people who, the people who they're slamming their bellies are people who used to consume other people's property unjustly. The people whose tongues are being yanked out are people who used to lie. And, and so the day of judgment is uh, uh, at least start thinking and getting an understanding of what happens in the day of judgment. But again, it should be fear and hope. And it may be, if that is, it comes across as too fantastic, then the first step is to take it as actually something real. What about people who are, have uncontrolled phobias or anxiety? That is a very good question. That I would connect that more with physiology and uh, be in the realm of mental health as opposed to spiritual health. Uh, when the Prophet peace be upon him went on the night journey, he saw the future. I mean, when he was on the night journey, he's in a he's in a a, 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 a setting that doesn't follow the rules of this dunya. So, future past, we don't even know how it applies there. But he's meeting people in heaven who, according to dunya, are dead. I Meaning, he's meeting uh, Ibrahim alayhis salam and Musa alayhis salam, and he's even uh, seeing these elements in paradise that are already ready for people back on Earth. So, uh, that's harder to explain, like what's he seeing in the future? Uh, Let's see. Um, You notice, you fear, oh, freeze, okay. Um, Any other questions that um, I am missing? I think we have just about everything. How does fearing one's parents fit into this conversation? There, I wonder if it's actually we're fearing their parents, uh, fearing the parents as much as we're fearing their implosion. Yeah. Right? I mean, so I reached a point in my youth because, uh, you know, let's just say I misbehaved more than one time in my life, that uh, I started calculating, not like with a calculator, but estimating, all right, if I do this, how badly am I going to get beaten? Okay, yeah, it's worth it, you know. And so, so there... Uh, I think it is in some cases a fear of the unknown. In other cases, a fear of almost like a physical destruction. Like if I share this with them, are they going to die? You know, uh, sometimes fear of our parents is something more like that. Uh, you mentioned that if you're on the path of arrogance, it is very hard to get back. And if the person choosing to be, if the, he keeps choosing to be arrogant, I'll let do it. How about the atheist? who are kufars, are later guided. So uh, let's talk about that, inshallah, when we get into the story of Shaytan. And once again. Uh, Okay, so. So the point being, uh, to to the question about arrogance, uh, uh, Sadia, raise that question when we get to the story of Shaitan, because then we will be getting into uh, uh, arrogance there, inshallah. How would you help us understand the connection between mental and spiritual health? That is uh, worth an entire class. Uh, But if we think back to the diagram I made a class or two ago, about the different parts of the self, you have the body, you have the mind, you have the heart, mental health would be more in the realm of the mind or the body. Because psychiatry is more of the body with the brain. And mental health is more of the, um, uh, is your thought processes as such. Spiritual health would be related to your connection to Allah. And so, so often I'm going very back and forth with the people in our wellness center, even including today, and uh, in figuring out like, okay, for this particular student, is it more in your realm or is it more in my realm? And if it's more behavioral, uh, then we often go with the uh, attitude that's more in their realm. If it's more related to some sort of inner comfort, then often our approach is that it's more in, in uh, my realm. Uh, what if you are made to fear someone due to constant retribution? Uh, that if it's retribution, uh, then I may have done something wrong, then again, is this, is the key? The key issue here is is how is where is the fear in me? Is the fear dominating me to the point that I can't function? I'm running away, or is the fear something that is in my mind of things that I have to take care of? If it's dominating me, then uh, then I might have to try to do something very seriously about it. Why does punishment have to be so harsh on the Day of Judgment? Why can't God just delete disbelievers out of existence after death, for instance? Well, some of the people that are put to the day of judgment will also, once they're done, be granted paradise. And, and, but the why question, the deeper answer to that, and I'll give you the hint of it. We can discuss this as we finish all this, is that's the system that Allah Ta'ala has set up. And thus we're surrendering. We're saying this is how reality operates. And thus we're surrendering to it. Like, why did he give me, you know, two legs instead of four? Or why doesn't he all just put us in heaven or hell and skip earth? That was his will. Uh, let me see if there's other questions here. Um, apologies, I'm going back to this again, but, it, it, this is, but is the original act that they're doing in the eye of putting their fingers in their ear against thunder, or are they afraid of death? Okay, nice. The irrationality is the fear of death that is leading to irrational behavior. Yeah, look at that look of, of, you know, the light bulb has just appeared at Abu Hassan's head. And so the point being is that when you fear something irrationally, it'll compel you to behave irrationally. Isn't the fear of death rational? If it is not affecting my behavior, we can argue that it is rational. I think all of us may have some sort of fear of death, but again, if it's connected to the day of judgment that, yeah, I have to face all the day of judgment. That terrifies me. That's much more rational because you're saying the day of judgment is absolutely real, more real than this world. But if it is getting me to, to behave in, in ways where I'm running from death, that's irrational because you can't escape it. If I'm in a tower, death is still going to uh, catch me. wasab what about fear of time? I'm not sure that I'm understanding. Uh, what does that mean? Like, are you afraid of a clock? Are you afraid of running out of time? Any other questions? In fact, uh, uh, Hadia is also in this call. Um, I'd be curious of how you distinguish between mental health and spiritual health. Uh, And let's see. I think I have everyone else's questions. Running out of time. I think that's that's, uh, uh, also, again, as a fear, it's natural, meaning at my age, mashallah, it's, I, it's, I really feel like my clock is running out, right? The sands and the hourglass are, are, are becoming very, very few. And so there's a lot of things I don't like to waste my time in. And so you see the key point there that I have made it rational. And so the key point is, how do I behave? Do I behave like someone who's, who's terrified and running away? Or is it a fear that is affecting me, but then I'm negotiating with it? Is fear other than Allah shirk if it is in No, fear of other than Allah is not shirk in any capacity. Uh, Worshipping someone other than Allah is fear. Or it is shirk. Any other questions? All right, we will stop here. I am going to experiment with this other computer uh, in case uh, we have these these problems. I apologize again uh, for, for all the crashes. Uh, if we have no more questions then we'll stop Subhanakallah allahumma bihamdika ashhadu ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik lake. allahumma wa bihamdika ashhadu ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik subhanak allahumma wa bihamdika ashhadu ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka a natubu lake. wa akhira ta'ana alhamdulillah May wa reward you all inshallah and if you barakAllah. and i will see you inshallah tomorrow